before this week's Foul Now televisual retrospective conversation get recorded on time, only you can decide with pop producer Kenner's Peggy Mount Calamity Hour podcast studio playset that you put together. We've got to get the show done for the editing to be finished by Thursday. I can't. I've been drinking since before the weekend. Alcohol, profanity, and a lack of organization collide with Dr. Velvet, Blackout, and Ozzy Bognop's action figures, each sold separately. Ha <laughs> ha! You got that transmission date wrong. Well, you won't be laughing when I drop these F-bombs. The power of Peg compels you to collect nine proofs of purchase and get this speaking our store. Attention, attention. Lock-in streaming on the mixing decks. The producer will go spare. Quickly, lick it up. The Peggy Mount Calamity, our action figure collection. New from pop producer Kenner. Deck the holes with this week's podcast. He's uh, an adolescent actor with that look in his eyes going, please tell me there's something better going to happen after this. Please, for the love of Christ, tell me. I mean, to be fair, to be fair, compared to what is actually happening on set, going home on the bus is better than what's happening to him right fucking now. <laughs> yes. True. Yes. True. He's singing that well-known Christmas favourite, La Paloma, yes. which means the dove. It's about as festive <laughs> as fucking hot cross buns. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's like she's phoned up the talent agency and she's gone, I need 20 children for a teleprogram. Make sure they can all dance and are comfortable being on camera. And they agreed, but then that minibus exploded on the way to Thames, so these are the children that got picked instead. Are you all right? Hello and welcome to the second of three of the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour Christmas specials. I'm Dr Velvet. I'm Blackout. And I'm Ozzy Bognops. And we're here to talk about some tinsel-decked television from way back when. Yes, hello you, and thanks for joining us for this casual cultural critique of Christmas television where Britain's best-loved battle axe is never far from the tree because here all bells jingle up the mountain. If you head over to PeggyMountPod.com, info links for the episodes we're discussing is in there in the show notes. You can find us on the socials, get in touch with sing carols, or suggest programmes you'd like us to cover in the new year. And before we test appearance by contractual obligation to hitherto unexplored existential limits, gentlemen, I've got to ask, what are we drinking? Port! <laughs> of course you are. Of course you are. By, by, by the way, did you have a comfortable night's sleep? Was it good? Oh, it was fantastic. Bloody Penelope Keith and Peter Cabal's going at it like rabbits. Like rabbits. Posh rabbits, sorry, but rabbits. But I, I'm sorry, but they don't do that sort of thing. I'm sorry, you're wrong. Well, I think you'll you find they like do. A shit house door and a gale. Anything to do with beige, cigarette quilt, uh, body warmers and green velvet dinner jackets, you can't miss it. It's the aristocracy doing what they do best. <laughs> I am loving... Your Liza Goddard-themed sleeping bag. I am loving this. Well, you see, I needed to have something that would at least give me... Because it's Liza Goddard on the outside and it's Lionel Blair inside. Aren't we all? <laughs> right. <laughs> you win today. You win. Brilliant. And to answer your question, Blackout, I... I'm staying with my theme of classy Christmas cocktails. I'm making a Christmas sidecar. Ooh, what's that? So, 40ml of Valerie Singleton's homemade Armagnac. Right. 15ml of fresh orange, 10ml of Grand Marnier, 5ml of ginger liqueur, and a couple of cloves. It tastes like red petrol, but here we go. It's Christmas. What are you sloshing down your gullet, Blackout? 
Well, it's about really time I got into the party spirit, so I'm going to crack open a bottle of Cherry B. Hey, ah, here we go. Fabulous. Here we go. You've been promising to drink this for quite some time. Oh, Blow the I dust have... off the bottle. A drink, according mm. to the commercials in the 60s, that allows you to tell a woman she's beautiful and treat her like one. This so is good it. luck with this that. Is exactly it. Ooh, oh, dear, oh, that smells special, doesn't it? Doesn't it? Uh, let's um, let's give this a test. Yeah, that's um, that's unusual. Yeah, okay. Right, right. I, I, I do actually have. Uh, I might try just a quick little. That's me opening a tiny little bottle of Courvoisier, which I'm going to slosh into it. You know, just to okay. lighten things up yeah, a bit. That's nice. Fine. That's fine. Oh, hang on, hang on. Are you on the brandy? Just a little bottle. No, not the litre one. Not again. I remember last Christmas. <laughs> oh, I don't think I remember last Christmas. <laughs> it's just to take the edge off the sweetness. Gentlemen, let's settle into an armchair for the first of tonight's Christmas gifts that we're going to open. And this is more traditional than ever. For on reception, it begs the question. Did you keep the receipt? I'll tell you what, joking aside, a little dash of brandy in there does make it taste much, much better. Teabag's Christmas Turkey was a festive episode of the series which ran from 1985 until 1992 on children's ITV, over 90 episodes and four Christmas specials. Our eponymous character is a witch, originally played by Elizabeth Stenton, but at this point it was Georgina Hill, who has magical powers which come from drinking tea or something, which she can't brew properly, so she needs a child slave to do that for her. He is played by John Hassler. Teabag would spend each series travelling around the universe looking for artefacts to make her more powerful, only to be thwarted through a series of high-spirited adventures. I'm getting this off Wikipedia, by the way. None of it is related in this episode. We've watched the Christmas special from 1991. That's very much towards the end of its run. It's the festive season, so Tabitha Bag has gone, boy servant in tow, to visit her equally ill-tempered mother, played by Peggy Mount. And what do you know? King Wenceslas is coming round to visit. Let hijinks and misunderstandings commence. Now, I never watched this in the day, but even the signature tune and the opening captions scream two words to me. Thames and Thatcher. <laughs> I, I, I can add a third, but no, but I think that means I'll peak too early, so I'll refrain. I didn't watch this back in the day either. I know people who absolutely love this programme. Yep. I remember when it first started and there was a big as you can imagine, a big kerfuffle about it on CITV. And I think I watched about 10 minutes and I thought, this is not for me. Way no, this back is, in the day. This is the weird thing. This started back in 85, which would have been very much all of our kind of eras. The episode yeah, yeah. we've watched is from 91. Yeah. Um, by that point, I'm in college, so I just wasn't really in the house to see any children's telly. None of us were at that point. Um, but yeah, up until that point, I also hadn't watched it either. No real yeah. sort of agenda. I think it just kind of looked a bit cheap. I mean, I remember that uh, the tea bag and T-shirt did present children's ITV on occasion. They and did. And you kind of they have did. to sort of skip over that to see whatever was going to be on children's ITV at the time. Um, yeah. But, you know, so there was that element of it. But by this point, the child slave is quite old. Uh, even although, you know, the equipment hasn't arrived yet, um, he is still looking exceptionally... He's got the makings of a tash. Mate, you don't get to leave slavery just because you reach a certain age. No, but he's not a child anymore. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to say. Oh, no, by that point, he's uh, he's institutionalised. But he could beat the crap out of her. You know, he's taller than her for a start. 
Not only that, he's uh, an adolescent actor with that look in his eyes going, please tell me there's something better going to happen after this. Please, for the love of Christ, tell me. I mean, to be fair, to be fair, compared to what is actually happening on set, going home on the bus is better than what's happening to him right fucking now. Yes. True. Yes. True. This is 25 minutes of over-the-top and stupid. Yeah, at the start of this, there's only three people on the set. I can't work out why they're all shouting at each other. No, you're right. You're right. And what the fuck is Mount wearing? What the fuck is she wearing? Before we even get to Mount... What the hell is going on with that woman's voice, yes. Tabitha, yep. the teabag person? Thank what you. What the hell is that? Thank you. Do we think this is explained in an earlier episode? Where, like, she's trying to have one accent that she can't do properly in front of some <laughs> characters, but not in front of others? Or is it like a, a head injury type situation? I, I, I mean, I'm all for, you know, artists saying, right, I want to do a different interpretation of the character. It's, it's, it's you know... This is her. But no, it changes throughout the episode. It, it does. It, With every insane. line sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like she's stuck on shop demonstration mode. I think the woman's blind drunk. God almighty. So anyway, anyway the only reason we're watching this, literally, yes. people, literally, it's outside of our usual chronological remit, is because Peggy Mount is in it. That's and here she comes. Bang. Yes. Indeed. And here she comes. And she arrives at that yeah. outfit. I know. She arrives in a Bedouin tent. And then the Bedouin she tent does. walks in front of the camera. <laughs> she does. I have never seen that much fabric move at that speed. There are a couple of factors that just sort of crop into my head before we even are presented with the gracious presence of uh, Madame Mount. And that is, this pe- this uh, show was produced and directed by Charles Warren, whose other current uh, concurrent success at the time was the fag end days of Rainbow. So you would expect yes. him to have a, a decent feeling for comedy pace. No, not at all. It's just <laughs> then again, then again, shots, yeah. he can only work with the script he's given, man. True. No. But this is well, the thing I wouldn't mind, but it does actually look like there's been some money, not a lot, but some money spent on the sets. Agreed. There certainly wasn't anything left in the budget to retake scenes looking for better performances. Agreed. Agree, yeah. agree with right. that. Can I, can I, can I just hark back to the appearance of the one and only Miss Pegatha Mountbatten uh-huh. and a lovely touch? Now, as we know, when we've spoken about her graciousness in previous episodes, she has worn a beautiful example of millinery mm-hmm. each time. Mm-hmm. This time she doesn't wear it, but there is one on set that she picks up and places on a statue outside her house. Another cracker's hat. Uh-huh. Yes. It's as if it's written into the contract. It Almost is. certainly. I'll take this job if there's a cracker's hat in it. Sissy! Yep. I, it's cracker's hat it, or a cracker's wig and the hat won this time. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. A cracker's Love hat it. and a cheque for £1 million. A cheque for £1 million <laughs> and a one-minute cue for comedy bassoon at the start of every episode of anything she's ever in. Because yep. clearly that's what she got with this one. <laughs> yeah. I've got to say that it got my hopes up a bit because when she says that she's leaving her only episode after four and a half minutes, I don't think I've ever been so jealous of a fictional character. Absolutely. So we're outside the castle. Yeah. We meet Mount. And Tabitha or Teabag is mm-hmm. is there with with T-shirt this this child slave yeah yes and Mount goes oh 
You got yourself a toy boy. Whoa, hang on. Hang on. <laughs> what uh, are you I... doing? Yeah. What are you doing? Putting this in. This is ropey territory, isn't it? I think you can refer Dodgy. to a toy boy. For 1991 you know. and all, you know. Yeah, well, one bit of genius, though, that they missed out on. They missed a trick here. They called the house Bag Towers, right? <laughs> yes. Now, I was really hoping that Mount's character would have been called Peg. Peg Bag. <laughs> why, wasn't that, why wasn't that a thing? Why wasn't what? that a thing? Because me and you haven't finished our time machine to go back and put that in the script. We're going to do that. Add yep. that to the list, please. Oh, yep. add that definitely, to the list. Yeah. definitely. Keep me updated on that, that please. Keep me updated on that so I can get some port yep. in. Now, we are talking about the extravagance of sets for a kids' programme. However, that doesn't stop them using polystyrene packing beads for snow. So why you looks all right on camera. That's fine. You know, it's it doesn't go... It doesn't sound all right on the mic. No, okay, it's like okay. squeak, 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 you know. And then, of course, the beggar, alias... Well, as we find out later on, uh, somebody else, um, carrying the Thames prop department bunch of sticks. He taught me for art. <laughs> Bunch of sticks. So, yeah, I'm not entirely sure what's happening in terms of the plot. Um, she bans Christmas, but I don't understand why. Yeah, I don't either. No. We move um, on to some weird kind of gypsy caravan setup, and I'm like, yeah, throw a bit yeah. of casual xenophobia in there as well, why don't you? But we are still on the subject here of un- unusual accents, because the lovely girl appears to be Slavic, then Spanish, then Italian yes. in three sentences. Yes. And aren't daughters meant to look like they're... Aren't, like their fathers in some small way? Evidently not. I think not. you're asking too much of the CITV production department. It's Thames Television. They were fucking lauded. They were about to lose their <laughs> franchise, but they were lauded. I do like that she's played by Lawrence Bouvard, who was in The Tomorrow People, also with Peggy Mount. Really? Like, at one point, she has thought, here, maybe we could do a double act. This is where my televisual career catches fire. Now, later on, Mount belts the old man up the arse. Hell on! Yep, this is my yep. note as well. What we've basically got is Peggy Mount's character, who's essentially Flora Petty, but with unrestrained violence, um, just assaulting the homeless. Right. <laughs> Children's <laughs> on TV. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Now, question. Is Mount a witch? Because her daughter is, so is Mount not? I imagine... Yes. Again, you know what? I haven't, I haven't looked into the... Um, into the, the backstory of all of this, into the ongoing Just sort of when continuity. Just the stupid teabag character goes into the house and she gets her wand out and bing, bing, bing. But she doesn't she get a wand out. The... She just points and then well, there's a delay whilst yeah, they cut yeah, the yeah. tape, clearly with fucking pinking shears, and then all of a sudden, all of right. that would just carry it all out and then take the shot again. Yeah. And she magics the, the stuff away. So Mount's furious. There's no danger here, because, hang on, Mount, if you were magic as well, just bring it back yourself. And then, get rid, and then get rid of Teabag. That would have been the way to do yeah. it. Or put her in chains or something, you know. So I didn't mind the bit where Teabag disguised herself as the clown out of It, because I thought at Pennywise, least... Some, thank you. I've got at, Pennywise written in least, marker here. Yes, at please. least some children might start being killed to liven things up. I mean, there's only one child in the cast, but what better place to start? It's not a child! I love that little um, that little line that they that they put in. Sophisticated comedy is my kind of style. What a lovely touch of irony. Well, yes, quite. <laughs> <laughs> God Sophisticated. Almighty. Oh, no, the key word there is comedy. But when Teabag's in her clown disguise, she makes an oil can appear, and then a working bomb. So Teabag, yes. 
as it's right. established, can do actual magic. Yes. But rather than use these powers to destroy humanity like any normal person would, she just fannies around in a very weak sitcom while the uh-huh. audience and everyone else in the cast looks increasingly bored. Yeah. And, of course, let's not forget the Thames budget for the comedy bomb and the comedy anvil. Well, uh-huh. yeah. Uh-huh. Well, the comedy bomb is is no different. It's it's not it's it's not a kick in the arse away from the bomb that Adam West was running about a, a pier with in the nineteen sixty six film. Do you know what I mean? I'm absolutely I'm absolutely fine with that. Yeah, yeah. The most expensive prop in the entire fucking program is the accordion. The kid is suspicious of the whereabouts of Teabag. Mind it takes no work and out mind. Howie, howie, think on. I do love though. Mount's little moment when the when the, the the king pops in. Park it here, your highness. Love it. Yes. Love it. Love it. Please tell me when Dame Peggy got her damehood that she <laughs> said something of that ilk. <laughs> Please Anyway, my notes have run out on this. I have nothing more to say on this other than it has all the acting professionalism and prowess of a 1970s kids touring theatre company. In fact, that's an insult to them. You have to keep in mind with this that the programme went out, was broadcast on the 26th of December. Now, any dedicated Christmas special, which airs after Christmas Day, is something that the broadcaster does not give a fuck about. Hang on, what day was that? Because if it was after a weekend... Uh, Thames had had this problem before because they couldn't broadcast uh, Thames programmes on LWT's patch if it was a weekend. Don't try and dig them out of the shit. <laughs> I didn't say I was defending <laughs> them, but let's not forget that in six days' time, Thames was about to spectacularly lose its franchise to Carlton Television. After this, uh, yes. And the biggest amount of arseholage on television since that date. You know, ITV died six days after this programme was made. And I think this was part of the reason. <laughs> yes. At the meeting, this was the first sheet on the flip chart under the, under the heading, why we should get rid of this shit. <laughs> but let's, let's bring this to a close before I get really right. I've got a pain in my chest, and do you know what it is? It's pure, it's pure temper. It's pure temper. Pegs on the line, Aussie Bognups. I don't think this is going to come as a surprise. Weak feeble, not even inspiring for kids of another age and somehow totally irrelevant to kids, 1991 and television. One out of nine. Totally agree. Blackout. Well, Teabag is just Emu's Pink Windmill Show with all the redeeming features taken out and it hasn't even got the excuse of being broadcast live to explain how shonky the whole thing is. On the plus side, at 25 minutes, it is short Plus, this episode's got Peggy Mount in it. Two out of nine. Rent a ghost in 1991 on a 1974 budget. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It'll come as no surprise from me. Utter slurry. One. And that's for Peggy. This yeah. was just awful. This may yeah. very well be the lowest scoring programme ever on this podcast. Beautiful. So the important question, the, the one that everyone is uh, asking is, how many steps would it take you, Dr Velvet, to yodel up the mountain? Well, the simple answer is none. Mm-hmm. Because we're already there. Hoorah! We're already there. 
already there. We're already there. So that's the first of this week's baubles that has dropped from the tree and smashed on the floor. Before we partake of the next, let's immerse ourselves in seasonal retail and look at the Christmas things. I hope there's some drink. Dixon's greatest ever Christmas deals. Like this superb 14-inch Seiso Color TV, only $159.99. This Commodore computer starter pack with data corder and software now under £50. Save £50 on this Fisher Twin Deck MIDI Hi-Fi with graphic equalizer. Save £150 on this JVC portable video camera recorder. Dixon's deals. We guarantee you can't buy better. Victor Kayan, what's a great shaving gift? The Remington Microscreen. It's two thin, flexible screen shave as close as a blade or your money back. No other electric shaver makes that promise. Perfect. Maybe my husband will buy the company. <laughs> the Remington Microscreen shaves as close as a blade or your money back. When people ask me how to remove unsightly nose and ear hair, I tell them about the Remington Hygienic Clipper. It's safe, precise, and easy to use. Jeeves' Newcroft original gift box. How come it doesn't go all soggy and leak? There is a bottle inside, sir. I say, hey, that's dash care of them. At Christmas, it's often those personal gifts that mean the most. The ones that say, I love you. Like the classic fragrances from Monterey. Style Parfum de Toilette. The elegant and romantic perfume. Tweed. A timeless classic. And Fashion Perfume Spray. A vibrant fragrance full of French flair. Classic gifts by Lonterick. We've got Christmas wrapped up. Ah, there's nothing says December like adverts for the Christmas things. Yuletide things. Don't you agree? And Easter eggs in the shops. <laughs> Don't even get a stuck. Oh, there's the thud again. Blackout. That letterbox is clacking Watch on, you yep. like a slack yep, yep. nutcracker. I've got it. Oh, bless me. It's one Christmas card. Imagine doing an entire delivery for one Christmas. Okay, right. Let's let's have a let's have a look. Get into. I'm always nervous doing this in case there's money inside it. I'm so excited. I might have to go home. Right here we go. To the occupants, I pity the fool who hasn't mentioned me in nearly an entire series of their podcast. Sorted out, the PRS doesn't pay my rent out of nostalgia and goodwill. Love, Mert. Who's Mert? Oh, it's Mr. T. Mr. T! Mr. T! Mr. T! Yes, Mr. T. Mr. T! What, the Mr. T? Mr. T! Yes, the Mr. T. Mr. T! Mr. T! I'm over the moon at that card. I really am. Anyway, right, and so on to the second of tonight's servings of figgy pudding. Sparkling sequins matched with sparkling, witty conversation and an even more sparkling parade of singing and dancing. That's what Christmas telly is all about, isn't it? Well, surprise, surprise, it's all here. Well, there's a couple of glittery frocks and wincy willets anyway. Well, my friends, the time has come To raise the roof and have some fun Throw away the work to be done 
Scylla Black's Christmas was optimistically dreamt of by ITV as a way to burn through the £200 that was left in their entertainment budget by November. A three-walled replica of the house that Miss Black clearly doesn't live in has been fashioned out of leftover sitcom sets so that our eponymous star can host an informal evening of songs, chat, songs, jokes and fucking songs. This particular outing, which would have cost the BBC precisely no sweat whatsoever, was aired on Christmas Eve 1983 at a quarter to eight, opposite the film of Flash Gordon on BBC One. I mean, some nights the pub just beckons, you know? And clearly it did this night, goodness me. 30 seconds in and that outfit is absolutely terrific. What the hell is this? It's scaring the hell out of me. I mean, that burnt... If we were watching that at home, that would have burnt the image of her, her teeth and her hair on the face wall in our room. It's 1983, <laughs> it's sequins, and it's satins. Good And you know God. what the best thing to partner with that is? Body-popping children in knitwear. Yep. Yep. That's where we are. Just after Scylla throws some shit on the tree... In a really dismissive way, we have uh-huh. the most excruciatingly cringeworthy visuals from a Christmas show I've ever seen. Yeah. All night long, in- it felt like it. It did. <laughs> Featuring a child in green trousers dancing in front of a coffee table. This is LWT at its finest, ladies and gentlemen. The dancing, the, f- the dancing, the fucking dancing by the kids. I mean, right, okay, okay. They're just kids, right? This, they're they're, Not the they're point, just though. kids. But this looks like a post-stroke trauma group's physio session. It's fucking <laughs> it really does. awful. It's fucking awful. The neighbours here kept saying to me, they kept banging on the, on, the, on the floor and on the ceiling adjacent to the room because I actually was shouting the windows concave, shouting, smile, you miserable fuckers. Now I know they're trying to look sultry, oh, but so for the so for our two listeners who haven't got around to watching this yet, a do that, and b this is Scylla Black very much wanting to present a kind of a welcome to my home this Christmas in the way that Val Dunican does. Yeah. I mean, what could go wrong? Yeah, but it's probably worth noting, right, that this went out at seven forty-five, so that it could run for an hour on ITV and still end before Val Dunican's Christmas party started on the proper channel at 8.55. Right. They did not want a clash yeah. with Val. No. I mean, I, I, and the thing is, I would have been with Val anyway. I would not have been with this. This is just, this is anathema to everything I used to love about Christmas telly of this era. Right, yeah. And I think the clue is in what you said, uh, Blackout, when you talked about the, uh, you know, the 200 quid budget. I think it was a question of opening spotlight and going, right, who's going to be bothered? Well, I mean, certainly with the opening number, you've already touched on this, but I'm like, why are all those children in her house? What is purported to be her house? Yes. Is it made of sweets? <laughs> is it made of sweet? Well, I don't know, but they appear to be all in the throes of strychnine poisoning. It's like she's phoned up the talent agency and she's gone, I need 20 children for a teleprogram. Make sure they can all dance and are comfortable being on camera. And they agreed, but then that minibus exploded on the way to Thames, so these are the children that got picked instead. <laughs> now we are in applause tape territory because there's clearly 18 in the audience and 17 of them haven't learned to grunt. <laughs> Um, so it is the LWT applause and laughter tape. Oh. No doubt about it. None whatsoever. Yeah. And a script by Vince Powell on a teleprompter that is about as funny as a glass enema. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she sits down and goes through a bit of um, 
what with any other performer would be optimistically termed stand-up. Uh, apparently her son Jack wants a... I know that this is 1983, right? But apparently her son Jack wants a computer with, and I quote, 68K of RAM. No, 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 it was... It was it was six A K because clearly she read a capital A. Ah, was okay, a right. Because yeah. this is it. I'm like, I know this the setup for a shit joke, but still, this is the ridiculous. Scripted comedy stick in this is fucking atrocious. Sixty A K RAM computer with Alfie numeric display, built-in synthesizer, and high-resolution graphics. I tell you what, our Jack's going to be disappointed because there's no such fucking thing. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so she's there. She's done a song getting someone else to do the dancing and then just sitting down reading jokes that she doesn't understand I don't watch Scylla Black's Christmas Eve to see Scylla Black what is this? yeah she's sitting there yes the jokes that she doesn't understand and clearly neither do the fucking audience or the writers yes (laughs) well the writer is one Vince Powell who of course was notable for writing other LWT successes like Mind Your Language um, love thy neighbour but he wrote it it seems like at fucking gunpoint he wrote it on the bus that's it, certainly it, how it's performed <laughs> yeah wrote it on the booze <laughs> because then ladies and gentlemen in walks in the last or so year of his career Frankie Howard now the question is can he save this because I bloody hope so it should pick up by this, yes. at this point shouldn't it? it to be fair yes spoiler it does it does pick up for this yes it does Yes. For the end of this segment. Um, but bless, even Frankie, he doesn't want to be there, does he? No. He's, no, no. Now, Frankie and Scylla were good mates off screen. Very good mates. Yeah, indeed. So They'd have to be for him to agree to this. Well, yeah. But they've got that dynamic, which is important. That's what's helping here. And he is stood there. You can see he's blatantly taking the piss. So oh, yeah. we love that. We love mm-hmm. that. Tell you what, though. I mean, we, we go through this little comedic performance, blah, blah, blah. They just go through the motions. They decide to partake of some Christmas songs, to which Scylla describes them as, they're awful. To be fair, I didn't think they were that bad. What was more awful was the fact that Frankie's teleprompter was clearly only under one camera. It really so was. you can see the fear in his eyes. Yes. <laughs> and, and Alan Ainsworth is probably standing in another studio somewhere else, so he doesn't know where to look. Yes. So he just puts his faith in the fact that it'll all be there. God bless him, they go into this Christmas medley purely so that Silicon can bark at Frankie Howard like he's in the back row of the fucking stalls. Yes. Yeah. But we're ten minutes in, and this is the second song. So that should tell you where this is going. Songs, songs, and more songs. You you had it yourself, Mr Blackout. You you got it perfect. And then, of course, in a typical bit of this doesn't quite look like we got to the end of rehearsing this segment, what does he do with the carrier bag? So he he proceeds to wrap it round his wrist and walk off. And if there's anything that says something about how... Um, poor this the rest of this programme's going to be and believe me it's poor um, it's Frankie Howard wrapping bandaging his wrist with a with a plastic carrier bag no again you've just hit the nail on the head there they have read the script for this they have not rehearsed it at all they're talking no. over each other it's atrocious and to show you just how atrocious it is she then walks into a mock-up of a living room and a beige wingback chair in front of a Sony Trinitron to talk to the fucking Bee Gees we're off to Miami we are off to Miami yep. and the Bee Gees are crammed and I mean crammed into a carpeted porter cabin yes well it says absolutely she says it's Miami it's but not, they do it? look instead like they're in the ITV studios in Manchester absolutely 
Well, the reason I think this is, where's the delay? Yes, they've all got earpieces, and yes, both them and guests later on put the finger in their ear, but there isn't isn't that much of a delay. You pick up on something here that I've written down, because when they're talking, and by the way, while they're talking, the wives do not want to be there. They are highly embarrassed... Yeah. Highly embarrassed. Kids don't give a shit. No. Well, this this entire sort of segment, from the minute we go over to it, it's basically Morris Gibb introducing his own brothers and their families like he's only meeting them for the first time. True. Yes. 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 Now, touching on your point, Bognops, isn't it funny that suddenly there's no lapse or delay when they're singing? Correct. Funny yeah. that. Funny that, isn't it? <laughs> How they managed, yeah. to, they managed to rectify yeah. this point suddenly. Because funny that, yeah, yep. curious, eh? We've been had, ladies and gentlemen, we've been had. I think, you know, and then the next thing that happens once the cameras are off it is the kids jump up, push the candles down, burn the fucking set to the ground. Yes. <laughs> yes. And Scylla manages to do a joke about what we're going to sing, what key is it in, Yale. Yes. And, you know, that's the only time you notice a delay because it takes them about five seconds to actually respond to it. That's not the delay. No. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> <laughs> Delayed reaction, maybe? Mm. Yeah. Well, while, while their porter cabin is burning down, we then yes. uh, we then switch to Silla's front door. We've got carol singers. With the best singing in the entire fucking programme. Sponsored by Quality Street, because they are dressed like a tin at Quality yeah. Street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just as well they can sing, because they have clearly no rhythm when they're asked to move. None, none. <laughs> but what I will say, when she opens the door, bang, wallop, another banging outfit. She's yep. like a she's yes. she's like a scouse serverland from Blake Seven. God Almighty! She is in a red sparkly dress and a big fur coat. Yeah, yeah, white yeah. fur coat, as if Liberace got a job being Santa at Aldi. She's wearing a coat that looks like it's made from a hundred puppies. <laughs> yes, and is about as fake as the rest of the entire program. Yeah, and look at that outside. Does that not look like, with a, an addition of a little bit of tree lights and things, is, is that beggar not going to come round the corner from Teabag with the Thames bunch of twigs? Well, if I was there, it's someone would be getting punched happen. in the head. That's for sure. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so she massacres a winter's tail. Oh God Almighty! With the choir doing the step dig, step dig school of we are trying not to be conspicuous. I mean, it's her program. This is built around her. She's clearly got final fucking say in what the set list's going to be. And yeah, yeah, she does a winter's tale in this sort of simpering, breathy croak because she hasn't got the range for it. And it's not a song that she can belt out like a foghorn that's trapped down a well. It's a lovely way of ruining the pace that the show already doesn't have. Right. Indeed. And And the only thing that really got me down was it only snores in front of her face, not the choirs. So they clearly could only afford one snore bag. Yep. Yep, clearly. I'll tell you one thing though, when we get to the end of the number, she doesn't give Aye. she doesn't give them a penny. Nor a watch. Nor come Christmas Thanks Karen. for helping, bugger off uh-huh. and shuts the door to an orchestra playoff. Get out! Not a, not so much as Aye. a Christmas frig. Get out. Do you, do you mind if I sing with you? Well, this doesn't normally happen. We kind of wanted a bit of like money in that. But no, I'll sing with you. No, no, no. It wasn't that they wanted a bit of money. It's like we'd like to sing in fucking tune if it's all the same to you. Uh-huh. <laughs> And we think we think to ourselves, right, she's gonna go in the house. Let's see. Let's let's meet somebody else. Lovely. I back to the wing back chair and the Sony Trinitron. And we're off to New York to visit. Apparently. Apparently it's New York. Apparently it's New York. George Benson, who is sat in front of a dead tree 
with his four-year-old son, Christopher, who absolutely doesn't want to be there. It's George Benson and his incredibly bored and furious-looking son. Yes, <laughs> indeed, yes. who clearly been bribed to sit there and there must be a button on his back or something that says, smile, you bastard. The child <laughs> has been dragged away from his Christmas toys to be on this, and he's absolutely furious. So it's nice that they had zero questions lined up for this segment, and then Scylla just starts ad-libbing with the kid, who gives not one fuck. Nah. And can't hear well, her. He the can't boy, hear her, The boy hasn't why. even got yeah. an earpiece, so the whole thing just falls on its ass. But what is it with that fucking set? It's, again, it's the back lot of teabag. That set looks like a typical play school set. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, the lighting's doing it all there. Yeah. Indeed. And the bloke's going to come through with the Thames bunch of sticks, of course. Of course. Again. Mind you, he is singing one of the most 80s tracks I've ever heard. Oh, yeah. I was expecting something far slower in tempo, but of course it's Christmas, so you're not allowed to do anything lower than 120 BPM, fuck's sake. It's not like he's stood up and gone over and done that. This is pre-filmed. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. They, they cut to a pre-filmed VT of Inside Love, wherever that is, which is, yeah, this horrible transatlantic mid-80s rendering of corporate soul music, yep. which contains neither soul nor music. Yeah. He's not the most animated of performers, is he? He's standing there like Potter's clock. Exactly. <laughs> I, I don't even know what's going on. So everything's going to be all right, though, because Scylla says, I've got a treat for you. Yeah, she didn't mean Unfortunately. it. Unfortunately. <laughs> exactly. Fuck me gently. It's a Hollywood <laughs> musical medley with Scylla singing in an accent. Now... I'm hoping that you two can guide me through this. So she's Carmen Miranda first. I got I got that the first one's Carmen Miranda because she says it's Carmen Miranda. Can someone please help? Yeah, with a comedy Portuguese accent. It comes off like the Mind Your Language Christmas party. It does. It really does. It does. Now, the second one, I have no idea Judy who Garland. that's meant to be. Is it Judy yes. Garland? Oh, is it? That's, that's my notes. Is that supposed to be Judy Garland? It is, yes. Right. She mentioned when she introduces this this segment, she mentions them in reverse order. Ah, okay. Right. Okay. The third number, I'm thinking Ginger Rogers, but it's a blonde wig. Correct. I was thinking, is that Marilyn Monroe filtered no. through RuPaul's Drag Race? Not with <laughs> It is Ginger Rogers because of Slayer Ride Cheek to Cheek. Isn't it a lovely day to be caught in the rain? A mashup that has enough oil and sugar to see you in casualty by boxing day. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <here>. yeah. <laughs> The problem, other than all of the ones that we've already listed, um, is that apart from the cultural insensitivity of the Karma Miranda number, this is just outfits. She just barks through each song exactly like Scylla Blackwood. Yeah. And because there's a yeah. costume change required for each one, it's not even like yeah. they could make this a single medley. It's three entire fucking arrangements. And then Scylla's at a funeral. Yes! Scylla's at a funeral. I- I've got here, she's dressed as a comedy rook. Yes, yes! All black with ostrich feathers forever. And then, just the thing for the bands, Gracie Fields. I mean, that's why she's wearing black, because she's mourning this performance. I thought she was uh, in mourning for the fact that the honey monster has clearly killed Black Swan. And also, when she does a Gracie Fields, it appears to be Ron Mail of Sparks without his moustache moonlighting on the piano. Can I tell you, when she first started to sing as Gracie Fields in this little tribute that she's doing to the very yeah. popular northern performer. Um, my telly dragged itself out of the socket to switch itself off. Yep. <laughs> I could feel my filling starting to crack when this was on. Yep. I'm sure I heard my oh, telly say, this can get fucked. 
I mean, for me, the most characteristic thing of it, the, th- the most believable thing, was the beige surround. Oh, the vignette. <laughs> to the picture. Right. The vignette, absolutely. Right, because I'll tell you now, because... at this point in this show, they found the vignette button. That's all I'm saying yes, for now. They, yes, I, exactly. You've got the same note as I have. There's two buttons. The same one marked vignette, the other one marked brown. Right. Yes, yes, yes. 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 And they're on every single television control panel in the 70s. Uh-huh. Yep. For any any programme, festive or otherwise. Absolutely. And certainly, the moment she sang, Oh, what a plight, I thought, please, please be that right. Please be that right. <laughs> Unfortunately, it wasn't. Listener, I'm going to tell you now that Christmas is a time of giving and some of you don't get the chance through busy schedules to to look at the show notes. Listener, Gracie Fields, as performed by Scylla Black. Roll the tape, Ken. Uh-huh. But, but we have a reprieve because we're off to LA to meet, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Julio Iglesias. Now we get the delay. Yeah. Now we get it. Yep. We do. It's so big, they can't even talk to each other coherently. They, they really can't. And especially, well, it's probably just as wise when she utters words like, you look so foreign and lovely. Precisely what yes. I've got in quote marks here. That is delightful. <laughs> You look so foreign and lovely. And he is standing again at gunpoint, I think. Yeah, without Just, a doubt. It's like, can I, can I sing me fucking song? Do you mind? You know. And it's here that we realise that they have, in fact, yes, they have found the button for vignette and they've gone... Yes, indeed. They've gone <laughs> fucking wild. I like that when we pan out, it turns out that the solid blue that was behind him is sort of like the sky for the set that he's standing on. Because up until that point, yeah. I thought he was just standing against a blue screen and they hadn't turned it on. I took solace in the fact that because we had the vignette, every shot was framed in it, as if to highlight the fact that you're not to worry, viewer, this is merely a bad dream. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's another, it's another pre-record um, yep. that happens after a minute and a half of what can only be described as... Excruciating exchange, and yeah, best of all, funereal. I would use actually, Mister Blackout. Julio is miming. Of course, he fucking is. Because why yeah, would you sing live on a pre-record? You know. Um, and best of all, it's in his native Spanish. So half of the audience at home is going to fucking hate this. Yeah. Even even in 1983, he's singing that well-known Christmas favorite, La Paloma, yes. which means the dove. <laughs> it's about as festive <laughs> as fucking hot cross buns, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But you've got you've got the the typical stereotyped image of the English housewife, glamorous in her mundane lifestyle. Going, oh, isn't he lovely? Isn't he exotic? Uh-huh. That's what that's for. Uh-huh. That's yep. what that's for. No, and my and my my mum going, what's that wire sticking out of his ear? Is he plugged in the mains? Because in those days, the earpieces. I mean, it's about a foot thick. It's like multi-core. I have never seen a cable that big. Yeah. I do like the idea of your mum saying, what's that wire sticking out of his ear? Is he plugged into the old mains? And your dad going, he fucking should be. Exactly. And and he would. And then lift his leg, fart, and go back to sleep. (laughs) And then we're back in the studio set, and her husband Bobby shows up, just so that it doesn't look like they built the entire set of a house for Frankie Howard's benefit. Now, you can tell that this is Scylla's actual husband, because he has zero fucking idea of how to act on camera. Or zero taste sartorially, because he appears to be wearing... A 
canary yellow shirt and a black Pringle sweater. 1983, though. 1983. Oh, Credit yeah, yeah, I'd do that. I would have thought it would have been uh, Lyle and Scott, you know, the golfing jumper. Corbett's got that contract. Mm. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then, as well as Scylla being unable to read scripted jokes from an auto cue, uh, her husband comes on and proves that he can't do it either, so this clearly <laughs> runs out of the family. <laughs> and then, then, four and a half minutes from the end of the programme, some yep. actual yes. guests show up. Yep. <laughs> I think they all happen to be in the studio next door filming something else. Yes. Yes. No, I'm gonna. I'm afraid, gentlemen, I'm going to jump in here. I have to pause you here because at this particular point, the last 10 quid of the £200 budget, they're all sitting around the table on the last bottle of teachers, you know, the, down to the last, you know, the, the, the wipings of the glass and going, how the hell are we going to end this thing? It's like, great idea. Just fling the doors open and get a load of talentless idiots telling crap jokes. What's not to like? To be fair, I think it saved the show. For all, it is only the four minutes. Of course. So the roll call, the roll call of people who walk through that door. I mean, imagine, <laughs> yeah. ima- imagine if you will, dear listener, doing a fake setup of, oh, who's that at the door, and then going over to answer it and pretend you don't know. That in itself is absolutely insane in any day and age. But we have... Diana Dawes. Pinot Noir. Lenny Bennett. Wincy Willis. Kenny Dalgleish, David Diddy Hamilton. In two suits. <laughs> Bernie Flint, Barbara Kelly, Melvin Hayes. With Wendy Padbury. I really handle Sally James, Pete Gilmore, and the credits say Bill Oddie was there, but I couldn't see him, so I'm assuming that's because all of the cameras were above waist height. So they're all in this big, fake kind of um, reception room. They do two rounds of a Discord up, We Wish You a Merry Christmas. Then we cut to a handful of the guests, crucially not all of them, in turn doing shit jokes so that they've spoken on camera and can demand a higher appearance fee. Yes, absolutely. Oh, and it looks like Kenny Dalglish's auto key was on the lighting rig. You know, a few years ago, there was a VHS release of something called Liz Dawn's House Party. Uh-huh. Oh, my goodness me. Gentlemen, just turn your heads mm-hmm. and look across to that shelf over there. Mm-hmm. Right, just below Scott. the Lamborghini picture. There it is. Yeah, between confessions and Jimmy Tarbuck's golfing gaffes. That's the one. Liz Dawn's house party. There you go. Now, this should have been in that format. This should have been the show. Can I request that we have that as the after-show party, please? Well, we'll do that when we do the, finish this episode, if you want. We've still got some sherry left in the cabinet. Please. Yeah, yeah well, I'm, down, I'm only down the fourth bottle of port now, so anything's possible. We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll watch it after this. That's fine. That's what this should have been. Where have they been? Yeah. Well, it would have been outside in the snow because even Scylla had to escape it eventually. They've all been next door recording whatever episode of This Is Your Life was being recorded that's going to go out in June. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's, I think it was Richard Baker's, probably. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, by that point, it's been a full ten minutes since Scylla last did a song. And, yes. you know, let's not forget whose fucking show this is. So, yeah, she goes to stand outside of her fake front door where all of the guests aren't, coincidentally, just to sing a song that's far too slow and winsome for her to really be able to stretch her lungs again. Yeah, but unfortunately, the band are sitting outside because they've been forced to sit outside for the whole evening. So they strike up and she decides to sing possibly the most pointless song in the entire evening, which is called Good Night, because it certainly hasn't been up to now. Do you know what I mean? Well, this is it. Her, her line... Now's the time to say good night. I think I think that was fifty-five minutes ago, Silly. Yes, but yes, <laughs> yes, gentlemen, 
We got through it. It's over. Only just, but we made it. Mr Blackout, how many pegs are you going to place upon Scylla's tree? Well, Scylla Black's Christmas is delightfully awful, but there's still too much crooning and not enough all-round light entertainment. Three out of nine. Fair. Mr Bognops? Well, it could have been worse, but I think she was let down by poor writing and a need by a production team to cram far too much into one hour. You could have easily stripped out a lot of this and made it a very enjoyable hour or made it an hour and a half. But, you know, it's reasonably warm and satisfying, like pissing down your leg. Four out of nine. And how about you, Doctor? Hell's tits. (laughs) (laughs) Three. I can see what they were trying to do, but I actually feel for the audience. This was clearly filmed in August, and they've probably looked at the tickets, and they've gone, ooh, the Bee Gees, Julio Iglesias, the whack. The closest they get to a star-studded lineup is Lenny Bennett, necking on with his wife behind the set A. Disappointment (laughs) all round here. As I say, three. So that leaves us with only one thing, Mr Blackout. Ooh, how many steps do you think it'll take you to go past the comedy rook that is Scylla Black, ascend the steps into the comedy sitcom front room and head up the mountain to Dozyland? Well, with a star-studded cast such as this, I can do it in a single bound. Scylla Black offered nuts and nibbles to Frankie Howard, who starred in Frankie Howard's Canadian show, The Frankie Howard Show, and episode one featured... Peggy Mounts. Oh, well, she shouldn't really. Oh, but it is Christmas, so go on. Good grief. Brevity is the soul of wit. It is actually Mr. impressive. Blackout. It is actually impressive. What about yourself, Ozzy Bognops? Also in one. Silla <gasps> Black handed a cracker to Melvin Hayes, who starred in 1966's Rome Sweet Home with... Peggy Mount. Oh, with Sissy playing Santa Claus, I should be so lucky. Good Lovely. Lord. Equally as impressive. Dr Velvet, how many steps? I'm not going to disappoint. One's a piece. Get in. Splendido. Silla Black shared some stuffing with Irene Handel. That is another story who starred in 1960s In For Trouble with... Oh, it's nice down here. I don't think I'll ever get up. What a beautiful way to end this vendetta. I couldn't <sighs> agree more. So there we have it. Fa-la-la-la-la, la-la-la-la. And before I ram mince pie number 32 down me neck... Blackout's got your socials. Yes, thanks once again for putting up with us. You can look up the show on Twitter at Peggy Mount Pod and where the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour on the Facebook. You can also email PeggyMountPod at gmail.com. Do not forget to go over to PeggyMountPod.com and have a look at the show notes for this episode. It's as simple as that. It really is. And that's it for the second Christmas special edition of the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. Thank you, Ozzy. Pleasure, as always. Thank you, gentlemen. Good, good, but fear not... We three critics from Sarcasm are back next week via the bar. Until then, keep mounting. Popping and soft. Fuck it. 
Peggy Mount Calamity Hour is a free podcast from iCall Media, which holds production copyright. Opinions and recollections expressed are not to be taken as fact. The title and credit music is by Dr. Velvet. Audio segments from television programs are presented for review and informational purposes only under fair use, and no ownership of these is claimed or implied by this show. For more information, visit PeggyMountPod.com. Yeah, no, that, that, that's the one. Yeah, we'll that's definitely the one. We'll keep that. Have the nose fixed. The fucking mouth doesn't work.